You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 75 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchot, and this is the show for December 2019. Well, it's a solo show this month, so just little old me. And the topic I've chosen is something I've just, just been thinking about a lot, actually, um, which is capturing winter. Now, I guess I should apologize up front to the Southern Hemisphere listeners. Uh, Sorry to say, you guys are going to have to either have a good memory uh, or pause this and press play six months from now. Um, But I'm afraid we're smack dab in the middle of our northern hemisphere winter, which means I'm experiencing winter at the moment. So I'm thinking about photographing winter. So it's on my mind. So I'm going to talk about it on my podcast. And meanwhile, you guys down south are in the middle of the hottest summer on record for many of you. Uh, So. Things are quite different down there. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, but I guess you're just going to have to time shift, unfortunately. Um, that's that's just the way it is. Okay, so I'm actually recording this on Christmas Day. Um, I've just had a very nice Christmas lunch and I went for a lovely walk in the beautiful, still, crisp winter afternoon that we got blessed with this Christmas. And it's... I, I quite like capturing this time of year on on camera. Um, and there's an awful, awful lot more to capturing the joys of, or the, the sort of the unique beauty. Joy is probably the wrong word, because it's often much quieter. Sometimes it's quite harsh. But sort of capturing the many faces of winter. Um, and I think everyone seriously thinks of your typical Christmas card, you know, snow, maybe frost, but usually snow and, you know, that very, very stereotypical winter scene. And that is, we're going to talk about that, and that is definitely a part of winter. But I actually want to spend most of the episode talking about all the other stuff that's not frost and snow. So let's actually start by getting the frost and snow bit out of the way. So actually, before we do that, let me just say, I have illustrated much of this episode with uh, example photographs from my own archives um, sort of to illustrate my thinking. Um, and so you will find those in the show notes at lets-talk.ie, specifically lets-talk.ie forward slash LTP75. A little bonus tip there. You will find the show notes for any episode by going to forward slash LTP and then the number of the episode. Or if you're looking for the Let's Talk Apple show notes, are at forward slash LTA and the number of the episode. Anyway, the uh, show notes for this episode uh, with all the photographs you're going to hear me mention are at letstalk.ie forward slash LTP75. Link in the uh, audio description, actually, of this podcast as well. Okay, so before we get into the stuff I really want to spend most of my time talking about, let's get the snow and frost bit out of the way first. Um, the first thing to say is that snow is not your typical landscape. Right? It's um, a snowy landscape, and to a lesser extent, but nonetheless to a notable extent, a frosty landscape, what they have in common is that they, they're they not 
they're not your average brightness. So your camera's auto exposure sensors are going to try to guess a correct exposure based on an average over the entire frame of 18% grey, usually. Uh, modern autofocuses have sort of been trained using various fancy pants neural nets and things to try sort of guess at the type of scene it is and then adjust themselves accordingly. So a lot of more modern cameras, their, their autofocus may not be fooled by snow. Um, it may recognize this as a winter scene and then automatically adjust itself so that it doesn't try to make it 18% grey, so that it tries, you know, a different or different exposure. But it's realistic that a lot of the time your camera is going to be tricked by the excess whiteness and going to try to underexpose the shot. It's going to try and make a shot that looks too dark. Uh, so your friend, very much when you're dealing with frost and snow photography, is the exposure compensation feature. Uh, so you, it's very, very likely that a little bit of exposure compensation will really help you properly expose a winter scene. So definitely remember that. Another thing that's very important to get right with a winter scene, it's very true of snow and relatively true of frost, is that that excess of white really suffers if the white balance is off. If there's some sort of subtle colour cast, I mean, any landscape photograph, if there's a subtle colour cast, it is going to make the picture feel muddy sort of how I would describe it. Basically, it robs an image of its contrast. And it just feels a little, well, the, as I say, the word I usually hear is muddy. It's probably a good word for it. But if it's, you know, greens and stuff, and there's a yellow tint to it, or even a green tint that isn't appropriate, I mean, yes, it's there. Yes, it will subconsciously make the picture not pop. But it's more forgiving, or maybe, maybe I'll say less unforgiving, because I'm always put off by... I mean, I'm particularly sensitive, I think, to bad white balances. I really like my colours to sing, to, to, to pop, to really have energy. And as soon as the white balance is off, you lose all of the energy. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that white, predominantly white scenes, are extremely sensitive. They, like a white tablecloth shows every blemish. If your white balance is off, it's always a problem, but it's really a problem in snow scenes. and pretty bad problem in frost scenes. So as best as you can, I would advise getting it right in camera or close to right in camera. And then when you come home, I think it really is worth the extra effort of taking that little eyedropper tool uh, in the white balance adjustment in your uh, photographic software of choice and actually um, you know, dropping it onto the snow to, to get that snow proper white. Now, once you've done that, you now have a scientifically correct exposure. But, you know, this podcast is all about the art and craft of photography, right? I don't think, I think you should start with a correct exposure. It's not exposure, sorry, a correct white balance. But at that point, you can apply your artistry and you can nudge that white balance depending on the feel you want from the photograph. So if you're looking to capture a bitter, cold, bleak feeling, intentionally nudge it a little bit to the blue of scientifically correct. Or if you want to capture instead the sort of the 
yes, it's cold, but it's tranquil and peaceful. It's sort of the the pleasant aspect of winter cold. Nudge it to the warm a little bit, to the red. Um, but less is more in these kind of subtle adjustments. And you can't really make this kind of an artistic adjustment unless you start with it correct. What you don't want is either a magenta or a green colour cast, right? You want to either warm or cool, but you don't want that green or magenta. So you really do actually want to start with a correct white balance and then then apply your, your artistic vision by nudging. And I very intentionally use a subtle word like nudge, right? These adjustments, in my opinion, need to be gentle to work. And they can really, they can really have a big difference on the shot. Uh, a practical note before I focus a little bit on artistic suggestions. Um, batteries do not respond well to cold. Uh, being cold will actually dramatically shorten the life of your battery. So it's definitely worth bearing that in mind, um, I would say, to just make sure that you have, you know, don't get caught out by it. So maybe just being aware of it is enough. It's like, okay, well, normally my battery lasts me four hours, but I only need an hour, so I'll be grand. It's fine. Uh, but maybe bring some extra batteries if you realize that, ooh, normally this would be fine, but I'm a little concerned today. So bring an extra. Bring an extra spares because the life will be reduced in the cold. Uh, and the other thing is, if you want your replacement battery to last as long as possible, Ideally, don't store it in the cold. Don't um, don't keep your battery in your batter in your your camera bag that's you know being exposed to the cold wind or whatever. Pop the battery into your pocket, perhaps you know, or in, in your jacket or something. Just anything you can do to keep that spare battery a little bit toasty is definitely worth doing because it will benefit you to have have your spare have as much life as possible. Uh, speaking of not responding well to cold, we humans we also don't respond well to cold. Um, there's the old adage, just no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes. That is very true in your stereotypical winter weather, you know, your frost and your snow, right? I think, you know. My advice is think about your extremities. Keep your head warm, keep your feet warm, and keep your hands warm, and the rest will follow, probably. Like, you know, obviously within reason. Uh, you lose an awful lot of heat through your head, especially when you get on a bit in years and there's less insulation, shall we say, up there than there perhaps was in your youth. Uh, you know, a woolly hat goes a very long way. When it comes to the feet, I think the single most critical thing is that they stay dry because wet feet will always be cold feet, whereas dry feet can at least have a chance of being warm feet, assuming they're also well enough insulated. Um, you know, a good solid pair of hiking boots really is money very well spent if you're going to be out shooting winter scenes because you, you just don't you know wet feet disaster um and then in terms of your hands that's the trickiest of all because i find it very hard to find gloves i can actually operate my camera in and so what i end up doing is having gloves that i take on and off and on and off and on and off and on and off so i like gloves that are easy to take on and off um, because that's what I'm going to be doing um, 
I also like to make sure I have a jacket with pockets appropriately sized that I can easily put my gloves in and out of without the risk of losing them because I'm afraid I have lost far too many single gloves in a pair. And that is extremely annoying. So I actually like when I'm photographing the kind of jackets where you have, I don't know what they're called, they're these massive pouch pockets at the front that go clean through. You know, you can stick your hand in one side and out the other side. So sort of like a horizontal marsupial pouch. Um, I find those fantastic. Um, My favourite winter jacket has one of those and then in front of it a zippered pocket pointing downward. They actually have a place you can zip your gloves in and somewhere where, you know, that sort of a tunnel effect, whatever it's called, is perfect for keeping your hands warm while you have the gloves off. Um, So definitely I like to think about the pockets in my winter jackets and stuff for when I'm shooting winter scenes. Okay, so that's all very practical. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some artistic considerations. Um, Finding, accentuating cold by aiming blue can be extremely powerful. Now, I've already mentioned nudging the white balance of the blue, and that's definitely a way of doing it. But another way of doing it is to keep the white balance at the scientifically correct point. So your snows are true white, but finding some blue to use against those snows so that you still get the sense of blue, but you don't get a feeling that you're being nudged towards it because the snow doesn't have a blue cast. Um, So I really like to find a blue sky, frankly, is the ideal if nature wishes to play ball. Uh, so I have two example shots in the show notes. Um, the first does both. So the first shot is, say, bleakness personified, pretty much. Um, this has to be one of the bitterest and most unpleasant days I have ever ventured out with my camera. And I don't know if I've ever come home with more keepers. Um, there was a lot of snow on the ground. There was mist. And then late in the day, the weather broke and we got some blue in the sky, but it didn't really warm up. Um, And I ventured on foot, frankly, because it was far too dangerous to be on on a bike or in a car or anything. I ventured out on foot for quite a long walk, actually. Um, Ended up five or ten K from home. So, you know, good, good trek. So again, good jacket, good gloves, good hat, good scarf good boots, and ended up in Carton House. And the grounds of Carton are a golf course, but you can't tell that in any of these pictures because a golf course covered in snow is just some rolling landscape. Um, but anyway, the, the low-hanging mist, white snow and bare trees, it just the epitome of bleak. And then, so the first of the shots just shows actually an extremely bland foreground which I would normally never shoot but in this case it captured the bleakness and I liked having an absolutely empty foreground there's not a footstep in it um, it's just white snow with a hazy mist blurring the line between the snow and the horizon and then leafless trees accentuated by frost and then blue sky with fluffy clouds and the white balance has been nudged towards the blue so that even in the shadows, there's actually the, the snow isn't pure white. The snow actually has a hint of blue in it. 
and then you have the blue sky. And those together, along with just the nature of the scene I've described, they give a real feeling of oh, cold. And that's what I was going for. So in that case, it's nudging to the blue and using blue. Uh, the second example shot in the show notes then is um, was actually, I'm not sure it was taken the same day, it was certainly taken the same winter. Um, and it only does one of the two. So the white balance in this one is scientifically correct. So the snow is white. But there's a blue sky hanging over it. All, well, like partially blue sky hanging over it all. And so you still get, you get the sense of cold from the blue of the sky. But it's a more pristine way of getting the effect, actually, because the snow doesn't, it doesn't feel like being forced to feel cold because the snow is actually still properly white. So I actually prefer when I can get away with doing this rather than having to nudge to the blue. But nonetheless, both are effective techniques. So it's both worth mentioning. In this case, it's a frozen over and snowed over canal with a bridge and some very wintry trees. Uh, so that's... You know, that's the first thing I will say is blue if you want to make it feel cold. But you can actually go the exact opposite and have great fun with what I like to, I call it mentally, I don't know if other people do, but I mentally call it the fire and ice contrast. So you find a cold, snowy winter scene and you contrast it with the warm reds of a sunset. And I think my absolute favourite example of that is a photograph of quite a few years ago now, <clears throat> now excuse me, showing um, the beautiful grounds of St. Patrick's College, Maynooth, in the snow, with a sort of uplit clouds. So it's basically the sun is setting behind the buildings, so the very hogwarts looking buildings, beautiful buildings by the architect Fugin. Um, the same guy who did the interiors of the House of Lords uh, and Commons, actually both Houses of Parliament in the United Kingdom. Uh, but in this case, he did the entire building. Um, Beautiful architecture. So the, the the building is the star of the photograph. Everything is white with a, a, a dusting of snow, a light dusting of snow. It's not deep snow. Um, and frost. And so in the foreground you have parallel lines of one single car track running up into the shot to pull your eye in, up to the building, and then behind the building the sun is setting. So that's sort of silo- oh, half silhouetting the building. There's detail all around because I tone mapped it. Um, but above it, you have low clouds being lit from below by the setting sun. So the clouds have gone this spectacular warm orange. And so you have a very cold foreground with all this snow and frost and these rich warm oranges above it. And, you know, that is your fire nice contrast. And I find that a very fun thing to play with. Another fun thing to play with, I think, is sort of capitalise on the fact that in a typical winter scene, you're shooting in colour, but there is almost no colour because the frost or snow have robbed the place of its colour. And that means that you can use basically a natural version of that selective colour effect where you, you know... You can do this in any photograph. It's often done with a red rose where you take a photograph, you make it black and white, and then you remove the black and white conversion for only the red rose, say, and that way the red rose really stands out. And that's an editing technique that's artificial, if you, for want of a better word. Uh, but 
a winter scene offers you the ability to do the same thing, only not artificially, to do it for reals. Uh, because, you know, there's nothing else in the scene has much colour, so you capture the image in colour. And if your subject is colourful, it will then really jump out at you, even if it isn't the biggest thing in the shot. And uh, one of my absolute favourite pictures to illustrate this is one I shot of a an Irish rail commuter train in its, you know, bright green uh, livery with the required by EU law yellow snout on the front of the train. And so it's very colourful, but the rest of the scene is extremely monochrome. And so the train isn't huge in the shot and it doesn't need to be because the colour does the work of drawing your eye to it. So that means that it can be a photograph of a train within its landscape as opposed to the train having to dominate the frame. And one of my absolute favourite railway pictures I've ever taken, to be honest. Um, it's just find it a really nice picture. And the reason it, the train works as a subject, even if it isn't big in the frame, is because of that natural selective colour effect. Uh, below that is another example photograph of the same idea. In this case, I really wanted to draw the eye to the welcoming front door of Bachelors College. This is the same building as in the Fire Nice example. Um, in this case, you have a completely, you know, basically the place is covered in snow. The The door is not very big in the shot, but because it's the only thing in colour, and actually, I won't say cheated, I, while editing the shot, I made sure the, to capitalise on the effect by selectively brightening and increasing the vibrance of the door. So the door is a varnished wood. And so you have this very, very naturally monochrome scene with this beautiful, orange, warm, inviting door saying, you know, please come in out of the cold, I'm lovely in here. And the door's tiny in the frame, but it really captures the eye and it really pulls you into the shot. It, it, it makes the composition very three-dimensional by pulling you in because it's the only thing of any colour in the scene. So the natural monochromeness, to invent a word, um, that natural monochromeness allows you to do things that you couldn't ordinarily do by using a small amount of colour to really pull the eye to where you want the eye to go. So, you know, make use of colour. Uh, a third and final example is one of my favourite signs. I don't know why I love this sign so much, but it, it's in the grounds of St. Patrick's College, actually. I've never seen anyone express it quite the same way, but there's a sign that says pedestrian traffic only. Never seen anyone phrase a sign that way. And I love that sign, but it's not very big, and usually it doesn't capture the eye very effectively because it's green background, white writing. It's not all that eye-catching when it's on a green lawn. Uh, but in the winter, of course, it's not on a green lawn. On the winter, it's pretty much the only thing of any colour apart from two people out walking. And so that same selective colour effect means that the sign and the pedestrians really catch the eye, even though neither of them are particularly large in photograph. So again, make use of colour because it really is your friend in these naturally monochrome scenes. And just the final note to make, no matter how bleak the winter, there are amazing shots out there as long as you're prepared to take the effort and make the preparations. Prepare well, both you and your equipment, and then once you're prepared out you go into the bleak and miserable conditions and you are extremely likely to come back Amazing photograph. Okay, so that's the obvious winter stuff out of the way. But there's an awful lot more 
the winter than frost and snow. So, regardless of where you are on planet Earth, um, what makes winter winter is the fact that the sun is at its lowest in the sky for you at midday. So, the further north you are, the more extreme this is. But it's always true that in the winter, the sun is at its lowest, however low that may or may not be. And because the sun is low, it means that the angle the sun makes as it moves between dawn, midday, and sunset, that angle is at its most pointed, its most oblique compared to the horizon. So that stretches out the sort of the golden hour, as it's called, that wonderful warm light, you, you know, when the sun is low in the sky at either sunrise or sunset. And that golden hour is just, that soft, warm light is so much fun to play with. Um, and it's extended because the angle the sun makes with the horizon is, is so shallow. It means that there's just more time for the quote-unquote golden hour. And particularly the morning golden hour tends to, tends to give you opportunity for those fire and ice type shots because it tends to be frosty on a winter morning. Uh, so the next example I have in the show notes, unfortunately, I haven't found a way of embedding Twitter links as viewable images like I can with the Flickr ones. So I'm going to click on this one. But it's a shot I recently snapped with my iPhone while out grabbing a morning walk. So it's just the sun is rising basically behind my back as I'm shooting this. Um, and it's a frosty, still calm morning along the banks of the Royal Canal. Lots of parallel lines with railway line canal pathway. But because of that amazing soft light, just it's just a beautiful, tranquil, peaceful scene. Yes, it looks cold. Yes, it looks wintry. But with that golden air, it's, it's got a sense of peace and a sense of calm that I really, really like capturing. And as I say, the, the amount of time each day you have to capture that feeling is bigger, longer, because the sun is making such a shallow angle. So make the most of it. It, it can be so nice. So, another thing that happens um, because the sun is at its lowest point in the sky is that even during the middle of the day, and this is again, the, the effect is stronger the further north you are, but even in the middle of the day, the sun isn't particularly high in your sky compared to what it would be, you know, at noon in summertime when the shadows are basically non-existent. Your shadows are just longer in winter than they are in the summer. They are at their longest for your part of the world. And if you're, you know, living in Northern Europe, that can be really quite long indeed. Uh, so you could see them as a problem and try avoid them. Or you can lean into the situation and use them in your compositions. And I find they can make amazing leading lines. Um, so the first example shot I have is of long shadows cast by bare trees as a foreground. That they're converging and pointing the eye straight to the center of a rainbow. Um, and of course, that's always going to happen with rainbows because a rainbow is at exactly the opposite point of the sun and shadows point exactly away from the sun. So shadows will always point at a rainbow, by the way, which is just a nice feature. Now, you don't always have rainbows and shadows aren't always lines. So while you can use them as leading lines, you can also just use them as foreground texture. 
um, shadow shining through leafless trees just give a nice texture and you can simply use just the texture as your foreground. So the second example shot I have is of St. Mary's House in Special College Maynooth and the foreground is simply the complex web of shadows cast by some trees. And that, that is enough, I think, to add foreground interest. Speaking of bare trees, um, you do not need frost or snow for a scene to feel wintry. Bare trees, in the complete absence of frost and snow, will still give you a feeling of winter. The different winter feeling to that stereotypical postcard winterness. But it's nonetheless a true wintry feel and I actually really quite enjoy capturing that. So I have some examples of bear trees along the canal and bear trees behind the steam train and it it feels like winter. Um something else that certainly in Ireland that seems to be very common in those stereotypical winter days is around about that golden hour that's now extra long the wind tends to fall off. Uh, It's very common to have these perfectly still early mornings and late evenings. And so I have three recently taken um, shots that I posted to Twitter linked in the show notes here as examples. So again, you'll have to open the links because I can't embed them directly, which is most annoying. Um, But these are all taken during that golden hour and using the reflections of the fact that it was just perfectly windstill. So you have this, you know, the canal, which I love anyway, is one of my muses, becomes a mirror. And then you can just have fun with it. So the first example is shot from, if you're wondering how did I manage to take a photograph that looks like I'm floating over water, the answer is uh, I just walked out onto the lock. (laughs) So that's the 14th lock of the Royal Canal is where my feet are. And then I walk to the very, very centre of the lock, so I'm looking right up the middle of the canal, and then I just captured, with my iPhone as it happens, the sky and the reflection of the sky during that amazing golden hour on a frosty morning. Actually, did I say, yeah, I did say 14th lock. This is the 14th lock, Jackson's Bridge. Uh, Anyway, it's a very tranquil shot, and the the reflections caused by that perfect winter stillness, I, I just love. And the second example is also from the canal, but this time taken from a footbridge across the canal. And again, this is evening rather than morning this time. But the canal is like a mirror because it's one of those perfectly still winter evenings. And it just opens up all sorts of lovely photographic possibilities. And then the last example is not quite perfectly still. It's almost perfectly still. It's reflections in the canal showing... You know, this is a morning one showing students bustling their way across the footbridge towards the university in Maynooth. And it's just the tiniest little ripples in the reflections. And that's actually quite nice, too, if you can have just a little bit of ripple instead of a perfect, perfect mirror. But again, it was an extremely calm and still golden hour sort of morning. Um, Of course, the other thing you get is that short days mean long nights. Um. That means that you can make the most of, you know, the dusk and dawn hours without having to stay up late or get up early. They sort of happen at a civilized time. And in fact, total nighttime happens at 
civilized time. So it's a perfect time of year. Get a little bit adventurous and start, you know, the very least having some fun at dusk. Um, the first example shot I have is actually taken on my iPhone. It's just during dusk, nice shot of a train, you know, with its headlights on, reflected in the canal again. Uh, again, a bare tree giving the sense of winter because there's no frost or snow. Amazing reflection. And then because it's already quite dark, you have the lights of the train, which is just nice. Um, modern iPhones, as I talked about recently on the episode on computational photography, you don't need any special equipment to capture beautiful photographs that include stars. So the next example I have is actually taken with my iPhone showing Orion above the canal at night with the bare trees as silhouettes to give interest to the foreground. And again, those bare trees give a nice feeling of winter as does Orion, which is a winter constellation in the Northern Hemisphere. And so the first two examples are taken on an iPhone. So it's, you, know, you don't need massive expensive equipment. But of course, you do have a full DSLR and you're prepared to you know, shove a tripod under it and spend a little bit more time and effort. Of course, you have true astrophotography at disposal. So an example of the constellation of Orion taken with a DSLR, obviously, quite the contrast. I guess the iPhone one is amazing that you can do that with a phone. But it is still worth your effort to um, take out the big boy camera. And, uh, you know, not the same sort of a scene with that. More high-end, I won't call it a true camera, because that sounds pejorative, but, it, you know, traditional camera. And, of course, you can really extend. Um, winter is a great time. The early hours of the winter night are when you can best see satellites, because you can only see them... While orbit is in sunlight, but you are in darkness on the ground. And so that low angle of the sun is again your friend, because it means that the amount of time when satellites are visible, but you're in darkness, is longer in winter than in summer. So in summer, the sun sets as steep as it ever sets, which means that the amount of time after sunset where satellites are still in the light is actually at its shortest, whereas in the winter, it's at its longest. So you can often see satellites hours after dark. And so that means it's a perfect time of year for long exposure shots of stuff like the International Space Station. So an example I have is a long exposure of the ISS streaking across the ruins of Tahado Church near Manus. Um, you can also, of course, make use of clouds in your nighttime photography because they can add a little bit of extra texture to the sky. And so one of my favorite shots is of the planet Mars between silhouetted bare trees in sort of Clouds that look like fire, and in this case, I just intentionally allowed the light pollution of Dublin City to turn the sky orange. I mean, ordinarily I'd correct for light pollution, but in this case, because the clouds were almost in a fiery shape, and because Mars is known as a red planet, it just seemed appropriate. No, just leave it orange. That's how it came out, because it is light polluted. Just leave it that way. And then you have, you know, again, the silhouettes of the trees, so again, it's that winterness of the bear trees so that's um my thoughts on capturing the winter um i you know i would urge you to make use of any time off work you may have because of the festive season to capture the essence of the season and i'm hoping that some of these tips have been useful and that some of these tips have inspired you again all the photographs i've discussed all the photographs i've described 
They are all linked and or embedded in the show notes over at lets-talk.ie. Um, while you're there, there are big blue buttons under a heading, support the show. I, uh, you know, we're coming to the end of the year, so now is a perfect time to just thank absolutely everyone who has supported the show in any way whatsoever throughout 2019 and before. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This show only exists because of the support of listeners. It would not exist if you guys didn't support the show. I am extremely grateful that enough of you get enough value out of this that you provide me the support I need to make this possible. I am humbled by that, and I am grateful for that. Um, Support for the show comes in all sorts of forms. Um. I am all too well aware of the fact that support can't only be financial. The, the reason I rely on you guys is because I need these shows to break even. Because at the moment I'm in a stage in life where podcasting can't be an expense. It has to it has to pay its own way and you guys make that possible. So all of you who financially support the show, without you it literally couldn't happen. But all support is really important because... No one will financially support a show they don't know exists. How could they? So the simple act of telling your friends about the show, or the simple act of tweeting about the show, or the simple act of giving the show a rating in your podcatcher of choice, all of those things provide actual support to the show. I mean, I know it may not sound like that's actively supporting the show, but it is, and it's really appreciated whenever anyone does it. Um, But of course, there are bills to be paid. So Patreon is the single most effective way of supporting the, I was going to say day-to-day, but it's a monthly show, so let's call it the month-to-month running of the show. Every month, bills come in, every month, Patreon money comes in, and I am now at the happy stage of this show's existence, where I can take the income from Patreon and use it to pay my monthly bills, and that is such a relief to have arrived at that point and I thank all of my Patreon supporters greatly you are patrons of this podcast so you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash ltpod I think it is anyway link is on the big blue button support on Patreon and that it is ltpod patreon.com forward slash ltpod so the way that works is you pledge a certain amount per show there will be exactly two shows a month one photography one apple so if you'd like you give me $5 a month, pledge $2.50, you get the idea. Patreon is designed so that um, transaction fees don't drown out small dollar donations. That is the problem Patreon solves. And the reason that problem needs solving is because the most common way of giving before the days of Patreon was PayPal. And PayPal is very effective for making larger one-off donations. But it's terrible for a small donation. If you pledge $1, if you try to send me a dollar via PayPal, I will get about 30 cents and PayPal will get, actually I'll get closer to 20 cents. Uh, PayPal gets 79 cents on every dollar for small dollar amounts. But Patreon only get like, out of a $20 donation, Patreon only get $1 or something. So, you know, pay, PayPal just works really well for, you know, 5, 10, $20 donations, but it's useless for small ones, hence Patreon existing. Uh, but, as well as monthly bills, there's also irregular bills. I sometimes need new software, I sometimes need new hardware, and that is paid for at a 
PayPal donations. And so everyone who has ever clicked on that PayPal button, thank you ever so much. I am talking into a mic that came from a listener. In this case, it wasn't through PayPal. As Listener Allison simply bought me a mic, which is a very direct way of supporting the show. Uh, but the boom arm that's holding that mic in front of my face was paid for through the PayPal donate button being pushed. The software into which these, you know, vibrations of the air are being captured was paid for through a donation made through PayPal. The, all the various bits and bobs of software that are going to be applied to this recording once I've finished actually recording it, and all paid for through that PayPal button. So that is extremely effective, and I really, really, really do appreciate everyone who's ever pushed that button. Thank you. Other ways you can support the show is by helping yourself. There's referral links to DigitalOcean, who do Linux virtual hosting, really nice Linux virtual hosting in my opinion. The website is hosted in DigitalOcean. Um, that referral link is only of value to people who need things like Linux virtual machines, and it's really nice because you get some credit and I get some credit. So there's months where I don't have to pay the hosting bill because people use that referral link, and that is wonderful. And the other referral link is Hover, who are a domain registrar again. No value whatsoever to click on that link unless you actually need to register a domain. But if you do need to register a domain, I have found Hover to be an extremely nice registrar to deal with. They have domain privacy by default. I just, I have found them to be good at their job and they have two-factor authentication, keeping your domain safe, yada, yada, yada. So I use Hover for my domain registrations. So I'm happy to have a referral link to them. And unfortunately, you don't get anything other than the joy of helping the show. But I do actually get some nice kickbacks from people who use that referral link. So it is very much appreciated whenever anyone who needs such nerdy things uses those two referral links. Okay, I have waffled on long enough now. I will just end today by saying I'm having a lovely Christmas. I hope the same is true, has been true, since I obviously can't post a show with a time machine. Um, I hope the same has been true for all of you listening who celebrate this day. Um, for those of you who don't celebrate this day, I'm still going to wish you peace on earth and goodwill to all men, women, children, etc. Because, frankly, we could do with a bit more of that, regardless of whether you have any religion at all or whether you happen to be Christian. It doesn't make any difference. You know, peace and goodwill, we'll take them all. Anyway, you know, I genuinely hope you have a good and nice winter break as we wrap up this calendar year and we get ready to start another one. And then to everyone... I wish you all the very best shooting for 2020. Let's hope that lots of fun and interesting things present themselves in front of your lens and that your efforts to capture those things are fruitful and fulfilling and that you get great joy out of the art and craft of photography in 2020. Anyway, I've been your host Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, this is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS, a podcast that talks about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and anything related to those technologies um, with my, along with my co-host, Warren Sklar. Um, we in depth with a lot of great things that relates to iOS and and its technologies 
I'd love to give you to give it a listen. Uh, you can find us at intouchwithios.com or we are in Apple Podcasts or any uh, podcatcher will be able to find us. Um, but uh, give us a listen. We'd love to have you listening to uh, those great technologies and relating to iOS. Thanks. Thanks.